have the privilege of, of opening God's Word with you today. Um, and as he mentioned, also one of our themes for this year has been God's holiness, our holiness. And we've been taking this first part of the calendar year to focus on our uh, God's holiness. And again, talking about a last month of God's holiness in the Old Testament, seeing that he is a God who creates dwells among and makes a promise with his people ultimately for his glory and for his benefit. And the reason why we all praise the God and why we benefit from God is because he's holy and by nature we're not. Furthermore, because of that original sin started in the garden, God requires that there be appropriate guidelines in place. And therefore we briefly reviewed the tent of meeting, which is actually floats so well with the song that Devin had picked. Um, he couldn't be contained within that tent and the tabernacle, as well as animal sacrifices that were made in order for God's people to commune with God. And all of this sets the stage for Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and soon after the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to come on the scene. And today what we're going to be doing is camping out in John 6. So if you have your Bibles, please open up God's Word to John chapter 6. And we are going to be starting at verse 35 and going all the way to 71. And the reason why we're taking so much of that, I probably would have even read more, was just because of context. Um, for those who take note of headers in their Bible, they're strategically put there. Not They're not inspired, but they are put there for strategic reasons to show where certain chunks of Scripture matched according to certain themes and discourse. Um, so I kind of break one in half, starting at verse 35. So I'm going to read this, and we'll pray for God to help us, and then we'll dive into the context of the passage. Again, uh, John 6, verse 35. This is God's word. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, and learned from the Father comes from me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that 
One may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for the book of John, the gospel of John. We thank you for chapter six, in which you declare yourself to be the bread of life. And I pray that Holy Spirit, you would help us to see things, you would illuminate these scriptures so that we would see them in a different way, reveal your truth to us, change our hearts, and if there's anything that comes out of my mouth that is not profitable, I pray that they would, these people, the teens and the the parents would forget that and only focus on that which ultimately honors you and edifies them and that we would be amazed by your holiness. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So it's, I just want to reiterate how much of a privilege it is to, to be in the scriptures with you. This particular passage that we'll be focusing on is in the gospel according to John. And John, son of Zebedee, was a disciple and apostle of Jesus. He is responsible for also writing Four other books, the three epistles of John, as well as the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible. So what better source than a person who walked with Jesus and received the promised Holy Spirit? 
Now, just again, some context, some, some observations made throughout the entire book of John is his I am statements. Jesus makes this first of seven I am statements, this first being, I am the bread of life in verse 35. The others you may be familiar with. All of them are referring to his deity, him being God. The first is the bread of life. Next, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way and the true vine. And in the same way, there are another unique feature, there's another unique set of statements in the book of John in which Jesus makes absolute statements in which he refers to himself as I am. In the original, this is a clear reference to Old Testament where Moses, if you remember, we talked about last month where Moses was commissioned. He met God in the manifest, manifested in a burning bush. And when he's commissioned, the name he uses is I am, Yahweh, the meaning that he will be. He always was. He is and will be. He's the eternal God. And this is the same reference that Jesus uses many times throughout the book of John, particularly in chapter 8 where the Pharisees are ready to stone him for blasphemy. And that's a charge for equating yourself with God. I often have the temptation to think, you know, it just would have been easier for Jesus to say, I am God. And yet, he does. He does it in such a strategic way so as to connect with the audience of the time who knew the Old Testament. These references, while for us now, thousands of years later, might not make sense, but to the audience who was hearing him saying, I am the bread of life, and so on, I am made perfect sense. Jesus was not just a good man or a prophet. Jesus was and is God. Amen. And at the beginning of the chapter, we see in verse 1 that Jesus went away to the other side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and he's in this process of crowd control, if you will. Um, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and he departs from the crowd. They follow him. But then in verse 26, the crowds want Jesus. But they didn't want him for him, but rather for the physical food which he provided. The discontentment in the hearts of men didn't stop in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And so we read Jesus making connections and meaning of this bread that the people of Israel received back in the Old Testament, the manna that they received in the wilderness. He's making these connections and how ultimately it points back to him. And a way to summarize, if you were to summarize the section of text from verses 22 to 71, we could ultimately kind of use this as a header that Jesus is life. Jesus is life. That, that, that's how you would really summarize this entire section. But some disciples are not on the same page. They misinterpret what Jesus means in the scriptures of verses 53 to 58, this idea of eating his flesh. They refer to it as a hard saying. And as a result, some of the disciples outside the 12 grumble in verse 60, and eventually they fall away by verse 66. And this sets the stage for a very key question that Jesus asked the 12. 
And this is, again, just providing context before we dive into it more deeply. But this is a such a great question. If you look back on verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? It's such a pointed question. Essentially, he's got this entire discourse, entirety of him speaking. He says, hey, essentially, I'm life, but some are not putting their trust in what I'm saying right now as me being the life. Are you going to follow the crowd that distrusts what I just said? And then Peter so beautifully answers. This is one of those times where it's quote, it's quote worthy. You know, when you hear something that's quote worthy. You put, you put it on a mug or something, you put, or you post it on Instagram. This is one of those moments. Peter gets it. Because if you look at the following verses, right after he asked that question, he says in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God is no mere accidental statement, just the slip of the tongue. We see this reference to two other, in, in two other Gospels when a demon-oppressed man approaches Jesus, declares him the Holy One of God. We also see a similar reference in the book of Acts when Jesus is referred to as the Holy and Righteous One. And then these references are all the way back to the book of Isaiah, where God is declared the Holy One of Israel almost 30 times. Again, when things repeat in Scripture, it's not by accident. God does no accidents. There are no accidents within God's economy. Now, why is Jesus referred to the Holy as the Holy One of God or the Holy and Righteous One? The simple answer is that Jesus is God in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, and therefore all attributes associated with the God who created the heavens and the earth are now ascribed to him. When God created the heavens and the earth, as we looked at last month, Jesus was there. The Holy Spirit was there. They were in perfect communion together. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene and say, oh yes, that I, I, I rem- I've heard of that. He, no, he was there. He always was and always existed. He is the I am, the second person of the Trinity. So just to provide some context, now we're going to dive into a couple points here. And within this kind of main header, when talking about God's holy presence. So here's, here's kind of, if we kind of wrap it up in a kind of a theme, if you will, her statement is within the New Testament, God's holy presence is made manifest or visible through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And again, if you're taking notes, this would be great something to jot down. Again, within the New Testament, God's holy presence is made manifest through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Manifest, visible. And just a recap of holiness, something that we've been talking about, are kind of two prongs to holiness. Um, and then I'll show you how that's going to work within our two points. Holiness, first is otherness. It's, it's a cut above. It's distinctly different in majesty, superiority. We're here. God's here. 
infinitely greater, wonderful, beautiful, and second, complete and absolute moral purity. Just above in nature and in purity. So the first point we're going to look at is God's presence made manifest through Jesus, and then we'll have two subpoints. So again, we're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as the second point, but within the first and second point, we're going to talk about Jesus as other and Jesus as pure. So Jesus, other and pure, Holy Spirit, other and pure. So let's talk about Jesus as being other. Within the entirety of the Gospels, we see that there is an assortment of miracle signs and even is, even forgiveness of sins. Starting in chapter 2, you may already know many of these, that Jesus turns water to wine. Guess what, guys? That defies natural limitations. <laughs> we can't do that. Simply put, we can't do that. Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John 6. Another defined of natural limitations. He walks on water right after. We see that he heals the blind. He raises the dead, John 11. He forgives sin, John 8. And lastly, he dies for sinners, John 19 took the punishment, one of the greatest miracles within Jesus' ministry, offering his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we may look at these and say, Sister Rita, I've heard these before. But look at what John 21 says. For those who are really like Bible whizzes, like you like know every single miracle that Jesus has ever done. This is, this is what John 21 says. Verses 24 and 25 says, so this might, again, mind blown right here. This is what it says. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's incredible. I want you to just picture, I, I, I went to Penn State University, and there are these incredible stacks of volumes of books. And if you can account for every little thing that Jesus did within his ministry, it probably could overload all of Penn State's campus, much less the library. Not enough books to contain what Jesus did on earth. His ability to not only defy physical limitations, but spiritual limitations that no other person could ever claim to. Why? Because he's God. Even in his resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit is an example of his otherness. Psalm 1610 is quoted by Paul in Acts 13, in which he says, The Holy One of God never saw corruption. What does that mean? It means that... Even after being dead for three days and rising in bodily form, there was no decay to his body. I mean, that is crazy, crazy. Three days, guys. It doesn't take any type of major in science to know that the body decays. When something is dead, it's dead and it decays and it breaks down. Jesus, no. Because... 
He is the same God who created, was at creation. He is above creation. And one of our greatest fears in life often is death. And as we sung about, Jesus reverses the sting of death. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. That means death doesn't have the final word. And I don't know, teens, if you've ever worried about a family member or a good friend's health, like I know Mrs. Sarid and I have. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't worried about your health or your life being on the cusp of not being there anymore. James 4 says that our life is a mist. It appears and then it vanishes. But guess what, guys? The Holy One of God, who was triumphant over death, lives. And the only way to be assured of true life after death is through Jesus Christ who died for sinners. He's victorious over death. We must go through the victor to escape the second death talked about in Revelation 20. That's excellent. Matthew 10, 28 says this, and, and this is, this is so crucial, teens. And again, this is, this is something, I mean, I even, I even feel, I struggle with this. I need this. Matthew 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I often have these moments where I'm with Mrs. Sarita, and I'll think about a worst-case scenario if somebody broke into our home or broke into our car, and I'm worried about my physical life. And I come up with this concoction of the scenario like, sweetie, this is what I would do. And she looks at me like I'm crazy because she's like, why would you ever think that? And I often, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe guys can relate to that more. I think like we're on the top of a bridge and like if this careens off, like I would have to take off my seatbelt and then jump into this lake. It's, you know, break the window with my elbow. Um, I often think about these scenarios in relation to my physical body. But I don't so far as often think about the same in relation to what I allow myself to be exposed to that could draw my soul away from Jesus to lead me to hell forever. Do not fear the person who can destroy this body. A criminal, a murderer, pales in comparison. They can only kill this body here. Jesus has the authority to send people to hell. Only if we repent and turn from our sins can we escape that punishment. Subpoint B, Jesus is pure, moral purity, sinless. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus is declared our high priest. Why? Because, and I hope that you guys enjoy the book of Hebrews, if you had an opportunity to read it, just as a challenge from last month. Phenomenal book. Because just as Old Testament priests were required to be consecrated, set apart, made clean, guess what? Jesus is the standard of clean. Jesus is the standard of righteousness. But unlike the Old Testament priests who were sinful human beings, Jesus with without blemish or spot, unlike the Old Testament priests who had to make continual offerings and sacrifices, 
mentioned in Hebrews 10.3, Jesus' sacrifice met the righteous requirements to be fully accepted by the Father. I mean, just guys, just, just ponder that for a second. Jesus' absolute purity. I do not have the ability to go to a single day, maybe even arguably hours, without falling short of God's glory in disobedience, in even just my mind, just my mind, my thoughts. I am plagued with being discontent. I am plagued with being prideful. I am plagued with fearing people's opinions, with being selfish. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Jesus knew no sin. He didn't even know it. It wasn't even an acquaintance. You know, when you have... You know, feel like maybe sin in your life is like a friend. It's kind of getting close. It, it visits you often. It plagues you. It's an acquaintance who calls you on the phone. Jesus, while tempted, didn't have a category for sin. And unlike people who are influenced by sinful effects to fall, as we talked about in Genesis 3, Jesus defies the effects, just like physical limitations. Jesus accomplishes what no other person could, absolute perfection. Only the Holy One of God could accomplish this for us. And Hebrews 12 talks about that we will not be able to see God without being holy. Jesus was holy and righteous for sinners like you and me, so we could stand before God with confidence, not timidity, not in fear. John, 1 John 1 says in, in chapter 2, this is, this is, this is great guys, this is, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Why is righteousness ascribed? Because he was perfect. An advocate, if you don't know the formal definition, actually, we def- we're in a unit within talking about teen advocates in my school And we define it this way. An advocate is someone who publicly supports a person or a cause. Publicly. How do we know that? Because he died on the cross. Publicly. He supports the cause. He intercedes for you if you're in him, Romans 8 says. And for those who aren't Christians tonight, won't you receive him? Won't you receive him? There's no way around it. You can't read John 6. If you notice, the one thing that kept repeating over and over and over and over and over and over again, it was life, raise him up on the last day. Life, raise him up on the last day. Life, raise He kept saying it over and over and over again. Why? Because it doesn't give any indication that we can simply associate with God. There's belief yes. in life which leads to ultimately salvation. There's no way around it. We can't. We can't get away with just mere assent, like I know God and I've been to church. We can't, we can't, even, and this is just one scripture, guys. This is just one passage. That's great, John 6, 37 says again, he won't cast you out. Draw him in faith. He, he, he will not cast you away. And finally, just... Now we're going to kind of shift gears into talking about the Holy Spirit. Again, the third person of the Trinity, and then going to the second point and two subpoints. It's just some context for the Holy Spirit. Why did the Holy Spirit come? Before Jesus goes to the cross, he talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit in John 
chapter 16, verses 5 and 7. I'll read you. And I'm, I just love how this is all in the same book. It's so cool. Um, John 16, 5 through 7 says, But now I, this is Jesus speaking, but now I am going to him who sent me, the Father. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You got to love in scripture where Jesus explicitly states something. It's to your advantage. Like, he's, he is all wise and all, I mean, he, it's for your advantage that I'm, I'm leaving, okay? There are not many times where someone who's close to you can actually say that. Like, I don't, I don't think, if, if, if teens, your parents came up to you and say, hey, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving right now. I, I, I'm not coming back. <laughs> you would maybe in a slight bit of like, yeah, I can maybe, I can do that thing I always want to do while they weren't here. Um, uh, stay up late. You know, I, I don't know, maybe you might feel that, like small temptation to feel. But generally speaking, you'd be like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're going away? What do you mean it's to my advantage? That's a disadvantage. That's a lose-lose, okay? I need you. And likewise, if teens told your parents that it's to my advantage that I go away, um, unless it would be for some specific reason like college, most likely, or maybe on their own, getting married, that would be maybe acceptable. But to just say, it's to, my, it's just, it's to your advantage that I'm gone. We don't associate that, but God says, Jesus Christ, to your advantage. We also read in Acts 1, after Jesus has risen from the dead, so the first was before and then after, he tells that the Holy Spirit is coming. The counselor, the helper who is someone who comes alongside of. Now we have to remember that the Holy Spirit has always existed, okay? So Genesis 1 always existed, third person of the Trinity, omnipresent. But within the scriptures, and even today, we see that God's presence is made manifest as we see Jesus comes, but made known in a more clear way. So it's, it's not that he wasn't there before, it's just that his presence is made known in a clearer way, able to be almost attained sometimes by the senses. And one clear example of this is at Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism, we see Jesus physically there. We see God the Father's voice saying, well done. And we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And the second piece of, of why the Holy Spirit is now present is that Jesus was subjected to, to some physical limits and that he was only able to be present in one place because he was confined in this earthly body. Okay, We're not good at multitasking. While Jesus could have done that, it wasn't in God's design for that way. The Spirit of God's manifest presence could be with all people at once in the most intimate way. It's God's perfect design. And again, we're going to touch on holiness. So God's presence may manifest the Holy Spirit, talking about him as other and then pure. Now, before Peter's confession, we read that Jesus says some things about the Spirit. It says in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And this is another key reason, guys, why um, 
we need to read our scriptures because when I was a teen, I referred to the Holy Spirit as an it. It was a thing. It was kind of weird. Very ethereal. Like, don't really know what what the Holy Spirit is. Just this thing that my parents talk about. Sometimes they cry. I don't really know what the Holy Spirit is, what it is. But Jesus says, he uses the word in verse 63, is a spirit who gives life. Not that gives life, which gives life. It's who gives life, which means he's a person. He's a, per- he's a person of the Trinity, not just an it of the Trinity, a thing of the Trinity. Let's look at what he does. Very similar to how we looked at things related to Jesus. One thing that he does, he resurrects. He has the power to make the dead rise. Case in point, Jesus. And case in point, us. Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this, his spirit who dwells in you. Another thing is that he regenerates hearts of non-believers. He makes them born again, John 3 talks about. After the Father has drawn them. Teens, no one will ever be able to regenerate a heart other than the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. Amen. No, no, for yourself, for others. If you're plagued by someone in your family who isn't a Christian or you yourself are struggling, the fact that you're not a Christian, nothing else will do it. Church attendance will not. Merely merely reading your Bible will not. Knowing scripture, memorizing, that in itself will not. The Holy Spirit needs to take something that is dead and make it alive. Because the equivalent of trying to do that on your own is like going to a graveyard and yelling for people to come up from the dead. It's not possible. It's almost foolish to think about in, in comparison. So when you want someone to be saved or you want to be saved, you pray and ask God to save because he does that. And after he regenerates the heart, he indwells believers, his constant presence for all believers. He also fills, and the difference in filling and indwelling is that he fills at specific purposes to to accomplish his work. And so what you can ask if you're a Christian every day is for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to go out, to be empowered and emboldened to do his work. John fourteen twelve says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Greater works does not mean you will be greater than God. But rather, the extent of our work in spreading the gospel is greater because of the Holy Spirit indwelling all believers and saving people in mass. If you look in the book of Acts, mass. People are being saved. The, the Holy Spirit, it really, it's often called Acts of the Apostles, Acts of like the disciples who were sent. It really is better Acts of the Holy Spirit. He's acting. He is doing. He is saving. Another aspect of the Holy Spirit, again, that makes him a cut above, which I'm guilty of trying to be like, but I'm not like. He convicts. He enables believers to realize their offense is against God. First, not merely against 
government or just merely wrong, just because it feels a certain way, it is an offense against God. John 16, 8 says, And he, Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I am guilty of trying to play the Holy Spirit in this aspect by trying to point out things in people and saying, Ah, see, that's wrong. That's not good. Yep, you need to, you need to repent. That's a bad thing. Point. I just start just pointing, like pressing and prodding. It's like by prodding, that's going to change them. Believers, non-believers alike. That's not my job. That is meant for the Holy Spirit who's a cut above, who is the Holy Spirit. That's his job. Not my job. And another aspect, but again, is not exhausted by these, is he gives wisdom. Understanding that supersedes the best attempts of men. Now, do you realize that if you're a Christian, this spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6 says that you, if you're a Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which takes it all the way back to the Old Testament, in which initially... To enter the most holy of holy places, God's, God would, 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 would come among, meet the, meet the priest there, and, 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 and it would be this, again, it would be guidelines set in place because that is to meet a holy God. That's how it ought to be. And then we see Jesus come on the scene, the holy one of God, and guess what? He takes it even a step further after Jesus tabernacles with them, John 1, he then indwells them. He goes from a place of almost seemingly distance to now go so intimate as to then dwell within us. We're the temple now. And unlike the Old Testament in which people physically walked to a place or God chose to dwell in a physical place for his manifest presence, his visible presence to be known, now we go with the presence of God. We go with the holiness of God to people. We bring God's presence and God keeps his covenant to dwell among his people teens I know this is probably not that exciting at times um, I, I, I want to I just empathize with you but I just want you to imagine okay Mr. Prowse talked about this at our junior high social that if you had an opportunity to be with uh, someone you really admire, okay? Someone you, you look up to, a role model. Uh, it could be an athlete. It could be an artist. It could be a musician. It could be anyone. Think of that person in your head right now, someone you would love to get lunch with, okay? Parents, you can do that too. Think about someone like, okay, if I had the opportunity to get lunch with one person, who would that be? And you have, again, about, you got, you got about 15 minutes. 15 minutes, that's all you got, okay? Really fun experience. Mr. Prowse shared that he wanted to meet Cal Ripken, Jr., famous baseball player. Okay? Now imagine him or her calling you one day and saying, let's get lunch every single day of your life. Every single day. It's pretty exciting, right? I mean, it's pretty exciting. I mean, but, oh, how that pales in comparison to the presence of the Holy Spirit pales in comparison. The Holy Spirit has infinitely more to offer than a celebrity. The Holy Spirit is infinitely more perfect and trustworthy than any human. 
Now, often we might fall into the same temptation of being the same person over and over again and avoid the temptation of over-familiarity. Yeah, I know if I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. God created the universe. He died for my sins, um, offers his Holy Spirit. But, you know, but there's like a lot of other cool stuff in the world. Like, I know, Mr. Street, that what you're saying is but, 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 but. I mean, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to help me, to, to, to not be so caught up with this temporary stuff, this, these temporary goods, success and entertainment, and where we would rather actually prefer the presence of stuff over God. And that's, that's something I need for my own heart, guys, you know, to, to ask for greater affection and thanksgiving and Last last sub point within this is just understanding how the Holy Spirit is is pure, and obviously His name um, denotes that, meaning Holy Spirit. So you know it's an adjective that describes who He is. It's holy. Um, he is holy. Not it is holy. But one of the ways that we see this manifested is within the lives of believers. When the Holy Spirit takes a dead heart and makes it alive, He becomes an agent. He, the Holy Spirit, becomes an agent for what's called sanctification. We're going to be talking about this at the turn of the year. Sanctification is just a big word. It's, it's simply put, it means that it's the use of the believer being progressively, little by little, transformed by the Lord into his likeness. Simply put, again, sanctification is the use of the believer, you, if you're a believer here today, being progressively, meaning over time, transformed, other words, changed by the Lord, not by you, into his likeness. To become holy, to become more like Jesus, who was and is the Holy One of God. His very presence takes sinful people and makes them more and more pure over time. Romans 6 talks about that apart from God, our fruit Our works lead to death. We know clearly John 6 says Jesus is life. The Holy Spirit provides life and that devoid of the Spirit, the flesh is of no use. The Holy Spirit takes a shame Peter before Jesus dies and makes him into a bold witness willing to be beaten and die if he had to in Acts 5. Beaten, counted worthy to be beaten for the name. The Holy Spirit takes a murderer like Saul in Acts 8 and makes him a light for the gospel and writing two-thirds of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit takes Joshua Sarita, a stuck-up church kid who kept all sin a secret, who read the Bible with no excitement, who was afraid to call him a Christian, himself a Christian, because he didn't know why he believed it to a man who proclaims Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Who confesses sin to obtain mercy? Who says, by grace I am what I am? Who says, I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. But boy, do I need the Holy Spirit still. He takes someone like me, who you may look up on here and say, oh, well, you know, Mr. Sarita, you teach God's word.
That's not what pleases God. That's, that's, not, that's not what makes me right before God because I am teaching God's word. That's not what makes me right. The advocate, Jesus Christ, his work in, through the Holy Spirit, that is what before God matters. Him is, his glory is what matters. Amen. Him being professed as holy and not me. If you look at me, again, I am just a byproduct of grace. So if you ever, if you ever look upon me, please do not think too highly of me in that regard that I would ever be so such in a place that I could not let you down because I am just a mere human. I can let you down. God will never let you down. Amen. My object is to point you to that God within this message. And finally, well, again, we're tackling this during the second half of the year, our holiness. I'll make a small plug of the importance of reading our Bibles, teens. Um, among all the other hobbies. Guys, you, you have so many different hobbies that uh, I've gotten to know that you enjoy. You like YouTube, uh, drawing, music, sports, airsoft, dancing. But your Bible is more precious. Psalm 119.27 says, 127, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. The psalmist declares that he loves the word more than gold. And the word, as Matthew 13 talks about, is a seed, and the Holy Spirit grows it. It's planted. So, do you want wisdom, teens? Do you want to know maybe what you should do next sometimes? Or like, I don't really know how to make these decisions. Read God's word. Do you want to fight sin? Read God's word. Do you want strength in the midst of heartache? Because you feel like you've been let down, read God's word. Do you want to learn to love people who are unlovable? Read God's word. Do you want to love for God's word? You have to read God's word. When you read God's word, you are giving a, a first-hand glimpse into how great God is. So don't think to yourself, oh, but you know, I'm just it's just going to be that next crossfire. I'm just going to need that to kind of bolster my step, get pep in my step. It's just going to be that next Sunday morning. It's going to be that time where I get time with Mr. Edder and Mr. Sarita. It's just going to be that time where parents talk to me about this is it right here. Because this is like this. This is, this is authority. God has given us 66 love letters for us to enjoy. And we would be foolish to neglect the, the, the enjoyment of them. And again, if you do not enjoy them, I mean, it's much like anything else that's good for us. We know we need, but we're, we're hesitant to want because we can't get into a rhythm. We don't know where to start. It's just force feed and joint, just diving in. I mean, it's like, it's like really that diving board at the end. You just got to go. And, and, and what's wonderful is that the Holy Spirit will meet you. Yes. Guaranteed, guaranteed. This is the instrument that he uses to make things happen in people's lives, to go from how I once was, someone who read this for self-help, looked in the back of the concordance and said, all right, I'm feeling angry today. I'm going to read about anger. That was great, really fun. Put it on the shelf. That's what I did. As a teen, that's exactly what I did. I don't really care to get to know the author. I just wanted solutions. I didn't want the person who actually could provide them though so silly of me 
But maybe you feel silly like that. And that's okay because if God could do that in my life, he can certainly do it in yours. Read God's word and pray for the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do and change you. Don't believe the lie in Genesis 3 that God is just a boring buzzkill who isn't good. God invites us to take a glimpse of his holiness revealed by his glorious sacrifice and his spirit. And again, I'll, I'll just, this is, this is the last thing I'll say in closing is, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna reread Peter's confession. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus' life, teens. And if you, again, if you have not turned, if you're questioning, you're wondering like, oh man, like, I think I, I, I still have some time to contemplate whether I want to repent or not. Today can be the day of salvation for you to turn. Don't waste time. No, nothing's guaranteed. Don't, don't look upon me and say, well, you know, Mr. Sarita's like about 10 years older than me, so I got still that much time. Oh, how I wasted time. Wasted. And I'm not that, I'm not that much older than you. And I feel like there's time that was wasted, but God did use that in his plan to show me that I was foolish. <laughs> but I pray that you would not go as far as that amount of time to then say, I wish I would have. But, but choose today. Choose this day who you will serve. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to uh, offer you guys some questions, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Thanks, guys. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your holiness. God, there's, you could, we could have gone an entire lifetime discussing your holiness, there's no amount of sermons that could ever encapsulate every little bit of your holiness because it is infinite, God. We're so grateful. And God, I just pray for myself. I pray for the teens here that even if they, even if they're just picking something up right now in this prayer, God, it would be that God would be so kind as to send Jesus to die for sinners like us. Yes. And that whoever turns, even at this moment, as by faith, being drawn by the Father, would repent and trust in you, your sacrifice, you are life. This flesh, trusting in ourselves, no help at all, you say. And so, God, I pray that again, by your Spirit, you would save everyone in this room. Those who are not already regenerate, who have not been made alive, are made alive tonight, God, by your, by your spirit. And help those who are already regenerate to live a life that is worthy of their calling, that, 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 that sanctification, that progressively being made more into your likeness. Help us all with that. We are weak. We have indwelling sin. We have temptation that plagues us. We have issues that are around us that, that go for our attention and grab us. We have Satan in the world. Strong forces trying to go against, but God, you are victorious over all of them. Nothing will stop you from saving and sanctifying. Nothing. So God, thank you for your grace in giving us time here to then tell others about this good news. 
pray that you'd be glorified in the time that we spend in discussion with parents and that they would be encouraged and lifted in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Josh. <clears throat> there were a couple of things that really stood out to me, guys. I think that the Lord wants us to really focus on one. And then, Josh, I'll have you share your questions. Um, remember when uh, Mr. Sarita was talking about it's not enough to just associate with Jesus. Do you remember that? That really hit me. Um, it is possible to be around the things of Jesus, but to not have Jesus. It's possible to go to our church your whole life and not have Jesus. Jesus said it so well in John chapter 6. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That teaching means we need to receive Him. And that's an active partaking of Him by faith. It's it's an eating of His flesh, a drinking of His blood. There's just a you see the, just the earnestness of Christ there. You want to lay hold of Christ with saving faith. And, and uh, it was such a hard saying that of the 72 disciples that were there, the majority of them walked away because it was too hard. And Jesus just turned to the rest and said, and those others no longer walked with Jesus. It's such a sad part of the tale but like Josh talked about, Jesus just turned and said, hey, the rest of us, do you want to go away as well? I'm not going to dilute this for you. I'm not going to water it down. Will you eat my flesh, drink my blood? Will you believe in me with your whole heart that I am Lord and follow me? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed Peter said and have come to know do you see the certainty have come to know that you are the holy one of God is that you do you agree with Peter tonight or teens are you merely associating with the things of God in our crossfire ministry here for the games, here for friends, here for fun but really your, your own personal heart before the Holy One of Israel is one of distance and not partaking eating the bread of life drinking the blood of Christ to wash away all of your sins have you believed and have you come to know that he is the Holy One of God yourself? Because one of the things we are so burdened about, me and Mr. Sarita are, me and Mr. Reyes are, for you as your pastors, we want you on the final day of judgment to be able to stand before the Lord and you will stand before him alone. And we want you to be covered by the blood of Christ. We want you to be saved on that final day. And that is not going to happen by mere association or being around things of God. He has to dwell within you by faith. Like Josh talked about tonight. And that's our burden. Is that you? Is that you? We don't want to presume on it. We would rather you get a wake-up call from the Holy Spirit tonight and you be saved and acknowledge that it wasn't there and now it is so we can all celebrate together that you've been born again than to kind of leave you 
presume and think, yeah, you know, I kind of associate with the things of God, but your heart's far away from Him and not come after you with that, with love and with grace and lead you to the foot of the cross so you'll repent and believe. We want to be good pastors. We want to be good under-shepherds to really lead you to the foot of the cross and so that you really will be able to stand before Him and that I'll be able to stand before Him on the day of judgment. We must, we must truly repent and believe. And that's our prayer for you guys. We love you so much and looking forward to the Q&A time. So Josh, why don't you just share just a few questions and uh, teens, thank you so much for your attentiveness. You guys are awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Evie. Um, so these are some questions I'll be passing out for parents. Uh, again, you can go with um, teens, you can go with your parents if you came with them or whoever you came with, uh, whoever you want to connect with if your parents not here. Um, First is just initial thoughts, questions, what stood out, what caught your attention, something that the Lord was ministering to you. Uh, the second is, what amazes you most about Jesus and the Holy Spirit? What amazes you? I just provide some examples, just to, again, make you much of, of who God is. And then uh, the third, consider the spotless purity of Jesus Christ who never sinned. What sin do you tend to minimize or consider to be minor? And then finally, uh, do you ever find yourself unexcited when reading God's word? Knowing that the Holy Spirit can change us, how are you encouraged? And then just to close in prayer, and then my challenge for you for this next month, for those who took, took us up on the Hebrew, reading of Hebrews, is to read the book of John. Read the gospel according to John from now until our next time together, which would be for the Christmas party, and just... Enjoy Jesus. Um, for those again, teens who are just like, I don't know where to start, Mr. Sarita, start in the Book of John. It's such a it's such a wonderful book, and take note of those I am statements and just write them down, meditate on them. Um, such a great place to start. I know that I recommend it for a lot of people, uh, believers and non-believers alike. So again, those are the questions. Uh, at the end, you guys can close in prayer. Uh, again, enjoy some of the snacks that are here, and then uh, enjoy fellowship. Again, we really love you guys. We really love you guys. We're praying for you. We love you guys. And, and God um, changes hearts. Amen. So um, for those who want to uh, grab some questions, I can get you some, and then you guys can enjoy it. Thanks.